Hello everyone, I hope that you're all doing well. This week, we have three new scary stories that I hope you'll enjoy. Let's get into it as we drift further into Mr. Creep's mind. I used to be a real estate agent. After trying to sell a liminal space, I quit. Written by just the girl next door. The Lakin's Home Upon first glance, it looked like a traditional two-story home. In fact, it was very inviting on the outside. The house had a wraparound porch, white picket fence, well-established oak trees, cute little flowers dangling in hanging pots. It looked like the normal suburban American dream. That's where the normalcy ended, though. I remember when it first popped up on my radar. It was in the heat of the summer and that particular day was sweltering. The family that owned it said it belonged to their deceased grandmother. They didn't want anything in the house and said that I could sell it with all the furnishings inside. It was rare that I even had clients willing to do this, so obviously I had questions. Gretchen, are you sure you don't want anything from the house? My words were nothing but sympathetic as I shoved the for sale sign into the front yard. Cool blue eyes stared up at me before reverting to the ground. I appreciate the concern, but the rest of the family doesn't want anything to do with this house, and neither do I. Curiosity swirled around in my head as I glanced up at her, swiping the perspiration that began to bead just above my brow. I silently wondered why no one even wanted to step foot inside. Had her grandmother really been that horrible of a person? Has anybody come to grab any of her belongings, though? The furniture's fine to leave behind, but what about some of the more personal things? I questioned. And crossing her arms, Gretchen sort of shuffled in place before saying, All of that has already been taken care of. We really just want this house off our hands, and we heard that you're pretty good at what you do. A small, understanding smile tugged at my lips. I wouldn't push it any further. I'm sure they had a reason for wanting to get rid of it, and the last thing that I was going to do was pry. I was a realtor after all, not a therapist. I'll get it sold. Reaching out a hand, I shook hers and offered a few words of reassurance before going about my way. That night when I came home, I kicked my heels off at the front door, tossed my blazer on the couch and listed the Lakins home as I sat down at my kitchen table and ate dinner. The only thing that I knew about the woman that owned the house was that she lived alone for about a year after her husband had passed, and that none of her family wanted anything to do with her. For some reason, a part of me felt bad for her. Looking around my own space, I couldn't help but contemplate what would happen with all of my things if I had passed. I lived alone and my parents were out of state. I would visit them a couple of times a year around the holidays, but besides that, I didn't have a husband or children to pass anything on to. There is a freedom that came to living on your own, but everybody failed to mention that there was an overwhelming amount of loneliness that came with it too. I was successful, sure, but I didn't have anybody to share it with. 
and some nights that was an unbearably empty feeling. And being in my mid-twenties, I should have been easy for me to find somebody to fill that void. But these days, it was much harder than I had even anticipated. I had tried dating sites, but I wasn't half as good at listing myself as I was at listing houses. And cracking open my fridge, I pulled out my favorite cheap wine and poured myself a glass. As I lay in bed, I couldn't help but look over at the empty spot next to me. My hand stretched out and brushed over the spot, the fabric cool and smooth against my touch. Sleep didn't come easy that night, but then again, it didn't most nights. When I awoke the next morning, I shoved my feelings aside and got straight to work. And despite the strange circumstances surrounding the Lakin's house, I was sure that this would be an easy sell. I wouldn't have to deal with coordinating with the homeowner to see when they could leave for 30 minutes to an hour so that I could show the house. And from what it looked like on the outside, I didn't think the house would need any kind of renovations. This sale should have been a piece of cake, but I couldn't have been more wrong. Hindsight is indeed a 2020. The second I received the key to the house, I was more than excited to see what the inside looked like. If it appeared as good as the outside, I was really in business with this property. When the key finally twisted and the door had unlatched, I stepped inside and I was instantly confused. Whipping out my phone, I looked back at these seller's text messages, just to make sure that I hadn't misunderstood anything. Sure enough, the proof that I had been searching for was staring right back at me on my phone screen. This place was supposed to be fully furnished. Instead, it was completely empty. Shrugging it off for a moment, I decided to give the house a walk around. Everything was surprisingly up-to-date and looked to be in good working condition. Whether it really was would be up to the home inspector, though. The light clicking of my heels on the hardwood reverberated all around the empty rooms as I roamed to and fro between each one. The kitchen was spacious, everything that a young family might be looking for, and gorgeous granite countertops, a sizable pantry, double ovens, a large stainless steel refrigerator, and various other appliances. Before I got a chance to really explore the rest of the rooms though, my phone rang. It wasn't a number that I recognized, but then again, I didn't think much of it. I was a realtor after all. I had new clients reaching out to me every day. Hey, this is Eleanor. Holding the phone up to my ear, I waited to hear a response. Hello? Pulling the phone away from my ear for a second, I glanced at the number and then quickly put it back to my ear when I heard a crackle of static and then humming. Whoever was on the other end of the line was humming some kind of strange little song. I didn't have time for this. I still had two other houses that needed to be shown, a box of cookies to drop off and some paperwork that had to be signed. Hanging up the phone, I shoved it into my pocket before glancing around the space one last time and leaving. When the last paper was signed for the day, I reclined back in my office chair and looked at the clock with a breath of relief. 
Switching on the lamp in the office, I straightened up my desk a little bit and dumped the papers that I didn't need into the shred box. Glancing out the window, I watched as a black fuzzy moss circled the little lanterns just outside of the real estate office, all of them bathing in its warm, hazy glow. And darkness was beginning to envelop the parking lot, and it had been one heck of a busy day. One of the hardest parts of being a realtor was juggling everything. The first thing that I wanted to do when I left that night was to grab some Chinese takeout, take a bubble bath, and binge watch some American Horror Story. And grabbing my blazer off the back of my chair, I snatched my purse and headed out to my car. I was more than pleased that everything ran so smoothly, and that I was able to get everything done. My showings went great and I already had an offer on both of the houses. I was sure those deals would be closed in no time. Both couples were already pre-approved for the loan amount, and the ones that wanted the first house I showed settled on paying the closing costs. It had been a productive day. That was until I realized that in my hurry to get everything done, I had taken that call and forgotten to lock up the Lakin's house. And the minute my car pulled into the driveway, I threw it in park and raced up to the door with the lockbox in hand. The second that my eyes landed on the door though, I stopped dead in my tracks. The lockbox fell from my grasp and my hand rummaged through my purse for my taser. The door was slightly ajar and the same humming that I had heard from that phone call could be heard from within the confines of the house. I really did not have time for this. And cautiously, I used the pointed toe of my heel to slowly kick the door the rest of the way open. And the humming that I had heard from before grew deathly silent. There was a strange sense of tension that seemed to be filling the air, almost like a feeling of dread. With a quick glance behind me, I surveyed my surroundings for a moment. The sprinkler in the neighbor's yard was still spitting water the sound of its spray hitting the sidewalk every time it turned toward the right. The leaves on the oak tree swished and swayed as a slight breeze drifted through them, the sound unnerving the eerie. Right next to me, the little white porch swing screeched on its old, rusted hinges, the sound a bit forlorn and sad. The whole atmosphere of this place had shifted since I had seen it in the daytime. Now, it was unsettling. When I finally turned and stepped back into the house, I couldn't help but notice just how much it had changed. It didn't look like the house at all. It was as if it had morphed into something else entirely. My hand fumbled for the doorknob and as I did so, my heart started to race when I realized that it wasn't there. In fact, when I turned around, all evidence of a door was gone, like it had completely vanished. Fear began to build deep within me, taking root and spreading throughout my body until it took all that I had not to panic. Something about the space was oddly familiar to me, almost as if I had seen it before, except it was different, different in a way that felt dangerous. The room was dark, but I was able to make out some stairs leading down to water, or at least that's what it sounded like. With nowhere else to go but down, I slowly descended the stairs, my ears straining to hear any kind of sound because of how dark it was. 
There were lights that flickered occasionally and because of that, it helped me see the edge of each stair. I didn't know how far down I was going and the last thing that I wanted to do was trip. After a few minutes of walking, I couldn't help but notice the temperature change. Pulling my blazer tighter to my body, I yelped when I noticed that I had stepped into something wet. Glancing down, I noticed that the stairs were now descending into water. A quick turn on my heel only proved to make matters worse. All the stairs that I had previously walked down were now gone. It was nothing but pitch black. Clenching my eyes shut, I tried to bite back my ever-growing anxiety. Every fiber of my being was telling me that what I was experiencing right now did not make sense. But my eyes saw nowhere else to go but down into that water. That worry only seemed to grow as I peered down on it. The water was a sort of inky black. And there was no way of knowing just how deep it was, and I had never learned how to swim. Forcing down the lump in my throat, I tried to push past my fear one step at a time. And kicking off my heels, I stepped down deeper and deeper into the water until it was a little past my hips. A strand of hair fell rebelliously from my ponytail, sticking to the side of my face. As my hand came up to brush it out of the way, I couldn't help the shiver that ran over me as I waded deeper into the water. I tried and failed to steady my breathing, the harsh inhale and exhale of my breaths echoing all around me. My legs trudged through the waters cautiously before I took one more step, and I plummeted below the surface of the frigid waters. A strangled cry left my lips as I thrashed around, fighting to keep myself afloat, but it was almost as if weights had been tied to my ankles. When I finally sank to the bottom, the need to breathe was so critical that I thought that I surely was going to pass out. My eyes burned, but my lungs burned even more. Ice-cold terror filled me as I felt my body succumbing to the loss of oxygen. When I finally gasped for a breath of air, though, I was surprised to find that I was completely fine. Confusion swirled around my thoughts as I peeled open my eyes and I looked around. And that's when I felt it. White-hot pain seared through my ankle as something tore into it with what felt like sharpened teeth. Looking down below me, I noticed nothing but a huge black hole. My body twisted and turned as some unknown force sucked me into it. Kicking violently, I tried to fight it, but it was like the more that I struggled the harder it worked to tug me down. Down, down until all I could do was scream. In a matter of seconds though, a strange sense of exhaustion washed over me before my eyes drooped and my body went limp. When I finally came to, I had awoken slowly. Coughing, I sputtered out large gulps of water. My lungs burned and my ankle ached. Sitting up, I looked around me and noticed that I was in a nursery. Peering down on my ankle, I half expected to see a tattered mass of flesh and bone. I was pleasantly surprised to see that everything was fine. Running my hands over my clothes, I stared down at the fabric in confusion. 
it didn't even feel like they were wet. Besides my incessant coughing in the water that I had just thrown up, everything else was normal. Standing on shaky legs, I slowly turned and took in my surroundings. A strange sense of nostalgia crept up on me as I walked over to the crib. Little pink peonies danced across the wallpaper surrounding the room. As my hands brushed along the smooth wooden frame of the crib, my fingertips froze, coming to an abrupt halt. There nestled inside the crib was a baby. Its big, green eyes stared up at me expectantly, studying my features before it reached up towards me. Almost instinctively, my own hand reached down to meet its much smaller one. An overwhelming feeling of incomprehensible melancholy clung to me as the infant's fingers wrapped around my own. It was almost as if... Honey? Yanking back my hand, I turned to see a man. A man whose warm brown eyes stared at me from the doorway, regarding me with so much love and adoration that it was odd. Do I... do I know you? Slowly, I watched as he crossed the threshold and approached me, his expression morphing into one of confusion. The second that he opened his mouth, though, I was horrified to see that water began pouring out in inhuman amounts. Panic erupted from within me as I scrambled over to the crib to grab the child, the need to protect it pulling at some maternal strings buried deep within me. The second that I peered into the crib, though, there is no evidence that it had ever even been there. Shuffling towards the door, I watched as it melted down off the wall and into the water like a thick brown sludge. With clenched fists, I pounded on the wall desperately, tears streaming down my face. This was like a nightmare that I couldn't get out of. But that's when I heard it, the faintest whisper of hope. Wake up. What do you mean? I wanted to scream. I am awake. And then it was there again, the tone of voice, smooth and even. Eleanor, you've got to wake up. And closing my eyes, I held my breath and waited for the water to once again overtake me. I could hear it sloshing against the walls around me as it climbed up higher and higher until it covered my head and then it was quiet. Tumbling backwards, my knees buckled as I fell into the water. When I opened my eyes again, though, everything appeared to be normal. I was back in the house as if none of that had ever happened. Sunlight streamed through the windows and cast shadows on the walls opposite of them. A couple of leaves scuttled across the hardwood that caught my attention, as I noticed that the front door was cracked. Hurriedly, I wrenched myself off the floor and ran out the front door without sparing it another glance. The second that I got into my car, I peeled out of the driveway. I couldn't help but sob. Something was very wrong with that house, and Gretchen knew about it. All of her hesitance to even step foot on the property made sense now. I knew that no one would believe a single inkling of any of this, though, so I did the only thing that I could think of. I ran home, changed my clothes, and composed myself. I had to sell this thing. Within a week, I had pawned it off to a couple in their 20s. Some part of me felt bad, but another more terrified part of me was just glad to be rid of it. I knew this didn't make me any better than Gretchen, but 
I didn't know what else to do. I was so shaken up that just washing my hands of that house was the only thing that I could think of. About a month later, the couple had been reported missing. Guilt clawed at my insides the moment that I saw their faces flash across the TV screen. The house had claimed someone else. Heck, it almost claimed me. A part of me wondered what it presented to them. Did they get stuck in one of those strange, in-between places? Soon after all that, I quit my job and moved to an entirely different state. I still wake up from time to time, feverish and terror-filled, that house still coming to haunt me in my dreams. I often wonder why it showed me what it did. I wonder about the man and the child and what it all meant. What it did fail to mention, though, is that when I was seven, I had nearly drowned. And even though I can't recall what the pool looked like exactly, there was something oddly familiar about all of it. Almost like death had felt cheated, and that in some strange way, it was coming back to claim the one that got away. So yes, as silly as this all sounds, and regardless of whether you believe me or not, I used to be a real estate agent. And after trying to sell a liminal space, I quit. If you want to hear, hey, where'd you get that this holiday season? Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Here's a few of my favorite gifts that I found on their site. A portable campfire. Yes, it sounds interesting and it's slightly confusing, but it's literally a small campfire made from recycled materials that burns up to five hours. Pretty cool. And a peanut butter sampler. It's a collection of six different peanut butter blends that you can try out. This one is pretty straightforward, but the packaging and the presentation is awesome. I might just be hungry though. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches, so shop now before they sell out this holiday season. And to get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash mrcreeps. That's uncommongoods.com slash mrcreeps for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Don't ever visit Kangaroo, Wisconsin. Written by Sir Ulrich von Lichten. Back in the summer of 2017, I would have done anything for a Nintendo Switch. But no matter how hard I tried, I could never get my hands on one. To make matters worse, one of my friends managed to get one and I was suffering from major FOMO. My friend would constantly send me texts about how awesome the system was and how Breath of the Wild was the best game that he had ever played. I became desperate to get one. It got to the point where I would just spend hours refreshing tracking sites to see if any stores near me had restocked. And then one night, just when I was beginning to lose all hope, I refreshed the tracking site one last time and got a hit. There was a Walmart in Janesville, Wisconsin that had just restocked. 
I called the store immediately and asked if they could hold on to one of the consoles for me. The employee on the other end said that he couldn't and that it was a first-come, first-serve kind of deal. He also told me that they had restocked with only two consoles, and there was a chance that they would be gone before the store closes at 11pm. Jansville was an hour and a half from where I lived. At the time of the call, it was 9.05pm. I could wait until tomorrow to call again, and if they were still stocked, then I would drive over or I could drive over tonight and get there just before they closed, and pray that the console was still there. I made up my mind almost immediately. I'll be there tonight, I said, and then I hung up and ran to my car. About a half hour into the drive, I noticed something that almost made me lose control of the wheel. My phone was nearly dead and I hadn't brought a cord to charge it. In my rush to get to the Walmart, it never even occurred to me to check my phone's battery. I had never driven to Janesville before and was using my phone's GPS for directions. Two minutes later, my phone was dead. As I watched its screen go black, my heart sank. I had no idea how to get to Janesville. I stopped at the nearest gas station and ran inside, hoping that the attendant there could give me directions. The employee at the counter was an elderly man with a name tag that read, Hi, my name is George. I asked him for directions to Janesville. He smiled, revealing a dark mouth with few teeth and began to scribble down directions onto a notepad. As he was writing, his tongue would constantly jab out the side of his mouth, licking the corner of his lips. Just follow this. George said in a high and reedy voice, It will get you to where you need to be. Exactly where you need to be. Thank you so much, I said grabbing the piece of paper like a beggar reaching for change. You're a big help. Sure, George said, giving me another toothless smile. The fluorescent light above his head began to flicker, and I started to feel uneasy and remembered that the store closes at 11. I gave George a wave and I ran out of the gas station. I got back onto the road and started following the directions that George had given me. After driving for a few minutes, I started to feel that something was wrong because George's directions had taken me off the highway and onto a secluded back road. But because there were the directions that he had given me and having never been to Janesville, I figured that maybe this is exactly where my GPS would have taken me anyways. I continued on and followed George's directions to a T. My car's clock said that it was 10.37 when I reached the place that should have been Janesville, at least according to George's directions. Plenty of time to get to the Walmart. But when I was passing by the town sign, my heart sank for a second time. The sign didn't say, Welcome to Janesville, Wisconsin. It said, Welcome to Kangaroo, Wisconsin. I checked the notes again, wondering if I had made some mistake. I was supposed to be in Janesville. I had followed the directions perfectly. I had never even heard of Kangaroo, Wisconsin before. My cheeks began to burn red as I thought that George had played some trick on me, and it was most likely that I would not make it to Janesville in time now. I slammed my fist onto the steering wheel, causing my horn to blast. I considered turning back but decided to drive around, hoping desperately that maybe Kangaroo had its own Walmart, 
and maybe by some stroke of luck that I could get a switch there. Or maybe Kangaroo was a village right outside of Janesville, and I was closer than I thought. The first thing I noticed about the town of Kangaroo was how quiet it was. I was from Madison, not a huge city compared to other places in the US, but big enough that you got used to hearing sounds at all hours of the night. There was nothing like that in Kangaroo. No married couples shouting at each other, no doors slamming shut, not even any dogs barking or crickets chirping. It was dead quiet. As I drove deeper into the town, I eventually came across a diner. Seeing the diner made my cheeks go red again. The place was called George's Diner. A coincidence, I tried to tell myself. There was a red neon sign hanging outside the diner that read, Open 24 Hours. The neon sign flickered as if it was going to go out at any second. Through the diner windows, I could see a waitress at the counter and a man sitting in one of the booths. It was now 10.48pm. I decided to go in and see if anybody in the diner could tell me how far Janesville was. When I walked through the diner doors, the bell above the door gave a short and dull ring. I rubbed my eyes as I stared into the diner, because I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. I could feel a yell building up in my throat, but I suppressed it with a nervous cough. There was a man and a woman in the diner, only there really wasn't. They were both mannequins, like the kind that you would see at a department store. From outside, I hadn't been able to tell through the foggy diner windows that they looked like real people, but there was no mistaking it when inside. They were just mannequins posing. The one at the counter was wearing a blue waitress outfit and the one in the booth was wearing a trucker jacket and faded jeans. Hello? I called into the diner, yelling past the mannequins. Is anyone here? No response. I walked over to the mannequin sitting in the booth and to my astonishment, I saw that he had a real coffee. It was still hot as there was steam rising out of the cup. The mannequin sat there silently staring across the table, one frozen hand resting on the cup, as if he were about to take a sip before I had rudely interrupted. Hello, I said turning back towards the kitchen. Seriously, is anybody here? I'm kind of lost. Hello? I considered going into the kitchen when I heard a sound. I turned towards the counter where the waitress mannequin was at. At first, everything seemed to be exactly as it had been, but then I noticed something, and this time I did yell. When I had walked into the diner, the waitress mannequin had been staring in front of her, almost as if she had been chatting with the trucker mannequin in the booth, or at least posed to look that way. But now her head was turned, turned towards me. I heard another noise and quickly turned towards the trucker mannequin who was still sitting in the booth, but his head was now facing my direction. No way, I croaked in a breathless voice. When I looked back at the waitress mannequin, she was even closer to me now, as if she had been walking towards me but stopped right in her tracks when I put my eyes on her. The mannequins were moving, actually moving, just not when I looked at them. I heard the sound of leather squeaking and the unmistakable sound of somebody getting out of the booth, and I knew that it was the trucker mannequin. 
and sure enough when I turned to look, he was standing now right outside his booth, holding the coffee cup in one hand. The arm holding the cup was bent back into a strange position, the way that a pitcher looks just before throwing a fastball. A sound came from behind the counter and I thought that I heard something coming from the kitchen as well. I didn't turn to look. Instead, I ran from the diner. As I did, I heard what sounded like a coffee cup smashing as it hit the door behind me. Halfway to my car, I turned back to look. Both the waitress and the trucker were standing frozen at the diner door. The waitress had her hand outstretched as if she were calling to me. Their frozen white mannequin faces were expressionless. The flickering neon sign covered them both in red light. I turned away, getting into my car and when I looked up, the two mannequins were no longer at the door. I could see them through the foggy diner windows. The trucker was back at his booth and the waitress was back behind the counter. Only now she was holding a phone to her ear, her vacant eyes staring out the window. Her frozen mouth never moved. I put the car in ignition and drove. I tried to backtrack my way out of town, but the more that I drove, the more confused I became. It was like driving through a maze. Even worse was that the town was still dead silent, but as I drove past homes and buildings, I noticed faces in the windows. Frozen white mannequin faces. I turned a corner and fear struck me. There were two mannequins standing on the corner of the street, right under the streetlight. One was wearing a red shirt, the other wearing blue. Neither was facing me. They looked like two men just catching up. Keep your eyes on them, just keep your eyes on them, I said to myself, not daring to look away, but then I heard what sounded like footsteps. Footsteps rushing towards my car. I turned to look out the driver window and there was a mannequin there, its arm raised, holding a hammer as if to smash my window. It stood there frozen. If I had been a second late, it would have broken the window. But then I heard more footsteps coming from where the mannequins under the streetlight had been standing. I floored the car, not taking my eyes off the mannequin with the hammer. I heard the sound of thudding as I hit something and then I peeled around the street corner and took off. When I looked back through the rearview mirror, I saw something that truly sent a chill down my spine. The mannequin in the blue shirt was splayed on the road. The one holding the hammer and the one in the red shirt stood over him, staring at me driving away. But they weren't alone. There were dozens of mannequins on the road now. Some were frozen in positions that looked as if they had been sprinting after my car, and there were others standing frozen stepping out of the shadows of the trees that surrounded the street, as if they had been hiding there all along. Waiting, waiting to ambush me. I drove on. There is no such place as Kangaroo, Wisconsin. That's what I learned when I finally made it out of that town, that accursed maze. I had driven for what felt like hours, dodging mannequins left and right before I made it back onto the road and eventually back onto the highway. Kangaroo, Wisconsin doesn't yield any search results and no one that I talked to has ever heard of it but I was there and I know it exists. I no longer have the directions that George had given me as I threw them away shortly after getting back. 
George was the only person I knew of who didn't know what kangaroo was. A couple of days after my experience, I finally gained the courage to go talk to him. When I walked into the gas station this time during the day and George wasn't at the counter, instead there was a young woman with a tag that read, Hi, my name is Sally. There was a middle-aged man behind the counter as well. He wore a straightforward name tag that read, Mark. Hi, can I help you? Sally asked as I approached the counter. Hey, I said, trying to sound as normal as possible. I used the back of my hand to wipe sweat from my brow. Even just being back in the gas station made me anxious. Is there a George that works here? George? Sally said, bemused. Um, not that I know of. Mark? Yeah, no, Mark said, not taking his eyes off a sheet that he was tallying. He looked like he was taking inventory. Are you sure? I asked. He's an older guy, kind of has a high-pitched voice. Mark took his eyes off his sheet and gave me an expression that told me that he thought I was the most annoying person in the world. Buddy, I'm the manager here and I do all the hiring, and I've never hired an old man named George. I was here a couple of days ago, sometime after nine, and I spoke to. Both Sally and Mark gave out short barks of laughter. What? Now I know you're messing with us, Sally said beaming, as if she had just caught some naughty prankster. When we close at 8.30, nobody would be here after 9. I didn't say anything, I just stood there shocked. In my head I saw George standing under that flickering fluorescent light, licking the side of his mouth. I know that I had spoken to him. Nice try, buddy, Mark said. Now if you're not buying anything, could you hit the road? I have work to do and don't have time for jokes. Sally gave me a shrug as if to say sorry. Nice try though. I turned to walk away when Mark said, Wait, hold on. There is one George that I know of. Mark, come on, Sally said laughing. That's not who he was talking about. Well, maybe it is, Mark said, passing a glance to Sally as if they were sharing the funniest inside joke in the world. Come this way. Mark said as he led me to the back of the gas station. He took out a key and unlocked a door that went into a storage room. There were crates of soda and snack food and other items. He led me to the back of the room. There he is, Mark said pointing to the back of the room. There's our George. Standing in the back of the storage room was a mannequin wearing an old gas station attendant uniform. He wore a tag that said, Hi, my name is George. The mannequin's face was frozen in an expressionless glare, just as the other mannequins had been. Only on this mannequin, George that is, there was a blotch in the corner of its mouth, as if somebody had been scratching or licking there and it had caused the plastic to fade. This is the guy you're looking for, Mark said laughing and putting an arm around the mannequin. Behind me I could hear Sally laughing at the counter. Mark, stop it, Sally called from behind. You're being mean. Good one, I said flatly, not taking my eyes off the mannequin. Its face was turned to the side as if it had noticed something interesting in the corner of the room. When Mark saw that I wasn't laughing, his own smile dropped slightly. He took his arm off the mannequin. 
Yeah, well, I really do have work to do, Mark said walking past me. So get lost. I made my way out of the storage room. I turned back only once, just before Mark had shut the door. The mannequin, George that is, was no longer staring at the corner of the room. He was staring straight ahead. At me. Cozy up in style this fall with the unmatched comfort of MeUndies. MeUndies has the softest and most breathable underwear and loungewear that I've ever experienced. Whether you're on the grind during the work week or posted up on the couch watching your favorite Halloween movies, MeUndies is here to keep you comfy. I've recently given MeUndies a try and they are the most comfortable undies that I've ever worn. The fabric they use is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. Plus, it's breathable, stretchy, and comfortable, making it ideal for all-day wear. To stay festive during spooky season, MeUndies has new designs, such as Fabulous and Bats Night Out, along with many more. Make sure to go check those out and be ready to go for Halloween. To get 25% off your first order plus free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash MrCreeps. That's MeUndies.com slash MrCreeps for 25% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Every night when I lay in bed, I see a figure in the corner of my room, written by Corpse Child. You know something, I had actually managed to forget all about this until just a minute ago. After surfing Facebook and seeing a post about somebody finding the sibling that they had no idea existed, I almost want to turn this into a PSA about getting off social media, but I'm not that preachy. Look, it's not their fault or Facebook's. I'm just saying stuff brought back bad memories for me, you know. Well, okay, maybe you don't know, and I hope you don't anyway. I wish that I never did. To begin this, you need to know that for the longest time, I thought that I had an imaginary friend. Notice I use that term extremely lightly. Tell me, are friends supposed to tell you that they hate you? Are friends supposed to tell you how they're going to kill everybody that you love and care about? Well, mine did constantly. Most of my nights as a kid were spent with all the lights on in the entire night which you can imagine how long my folks were willing to put up with that, just to maybe get me to finally go to sleep. Oh, and obviously, my folks weren't believing me when I told them about my friend. They would tell me to tell him to go away, maybe cap him with my BB gun until he ran away. Heck, my dad even told me that I should punch him in the nose. Yeah, teach him a lesson or two, as he would put it. Yeah, okay, genius, and then what? shake my finger and shout harsh words at him. You see, even when I was little, I had understood the difference between actual imaginary friends and whatever this was. Real, I guess. By this, I mean that with imaginary friends, you are actually in control, you know. You make them appear and disappear, right? Make them do whatever you want to do, whenever and however you want them to do it. But I didn't have any of that, not here. Oh no, I had this. I had the voice of a little boy just constantly hurling insults and threats at me. It wasn't just at night though, of course. No, he followed me everywhere. 
in my bedroom, the bathroom, the tub. This one was a favorite for him, especially when it came to telling me his to-do list of murders. Outside of the bus stop, on the bus, at school, everywhere. There was no running from him, no hiding from him. He or whoever he was was stuck to the hip with me. Most of the time, I would ignore his voice. As funny as it was because of this, I'd actually find myself paying close attention to every word out of my teacher's mouth, just so that I could drown out his voice with something. That worked, sort of, for about the first two or three years in elementary school. But come fourth grade, nope. Nothing on this earth was keeping him out of my ears, literally. That was the first time that I had actually been admitted to the funny farm, after a kid saw me run into the bathroom with one of my plastic forks that I had been using for my peas and carrots and attempt to drive them into my ears. The school was put into lockdown for a bit after that, so I heard, and I was escorted to the principal's office by one of the SROs and the assistant principal. They repeatedly asked me why I was trying to harm myself, including asking about my home life and if I was getting along with other kids here at school. I remember being silent, not to be rude of course, but more like I couldn't actually speak. No, I don't mean being at a loss for words either. I just couldn't say anything. I wanted to but couldn't, no matter how hard I screamed at myself to do so. My folks were soon called, which then drew the process out a lot more, and made stuff a lot more complicated than I ever wanted it to be. To make this part of the story short, an ambulance was called, and I and my parents were all escorted to the hospital, where I was checked in that afternoon and told that stuff from home would be brought to me the next day, and that I would be staying here until I was better. Better, huh? They actually said, until I was better. Anyway, so I spent that night and every night following for the next month and a half there in the psych ward. The place wasn't all that bad though. The nurses were nice, especially the gorgeous young CNA who would wake me up every morning with a bowl of steamy hot cinnamon oatmeal, a banana, and a juice box, along with a small cup of some sort of grape medicine. The place was actually friendly and inviting, with pictures of smiling children all along the wall paper mache, origami, and even these quirky looking clay figures on the shelves on the walls. All of this and the other patients, the ones my age at the time anyway, were also really nice to me and fun to hang out with. To be perfectly honest here, I wouldn't have minded any of this one single bit, except for the fact that it wasn't working. Every night I was still kept awake by his voice, his childish, growly sort of voice, teasing me, saying things like, Oh, isn't that cute? Little Greggy's making a friend. Oh, aren't you just special? I remember pressing the extremely fluffy pillows that they had given me against my ears and telling him to go away. Oh, go away. That's what you want for me to go away. I remember how I would hear him laugh. It sounded like just any of the other little boys' laughter, but coming from him, I couldn't help but associate it with the laugh that I used to hear from the Joker and Batman. And what if I don't want to go, huh? You ever think about that? He snapped back. I didn't answer, opting instead to pull the covers over my head. No, you only think about what you want, don't you? 
I felt little indentations press into the blanket, like small fingers pushing into the comforters over my face. What about me, huh, Greg? The fingers dug into the blanket, clenching it tight like it was the only thing keeping him from falling or something. I began to feel the covers slowly pull away from me. I pulled them closer to my face and he chuckled at this. Oh, what's the matter, you shy? Huh, is that it? You're a shy little weasel. You know, I seem to remember mom telling us that it wasn't polite to turn away from the person speaking. Us? I remember asking. His giggling sounded absolutely demented this time. Yeah, us. We're one and the same, Greggy boy. What are you talking about, the same? How? Why don't you take this blanket off, you little baby? My body seized again from under the covers. His voice didn't sound like a child's anymore, instead like a full-grown man, deep and commanding. The covers pulled up again, but I snatched them back to my face. You're gonna suffocate doing that, Greggy. Just leave me alone, I cried. Leave me alone, he shot back in a falsetto. Go away, go away, boo-hoo. Poor widow me, mean man won't leave me alone cause he's upset. Those last few words echoed throughout the room in his demonic bellow. I was a statue under the covers, clenching them close to my face for dear life. A sickening second passed in complete silence. The air was both empty and suffocating at the same time. And then the chuckling came back and he said, Fine then, since you love your little blankie more than me. The air tightened and I started struggling for air. The laughing grew louder, the only thing that I could hear over my gasping. The pressure in my head threatened to make it explode. I was fading fast, clawing violently at the blanket over my face. Just before I was gone for the count though, I saw the blanket get jerked off of me. Before the covers had even completely left my face, fresh air stung, billowing into my starving and gaping lungs. My vision was blurred and the room was dark. I began flailing at a pair of hands that I saw grabbing at me. I was a scared and wounded animal backed into the corner. I knew if those hands grabbed me, the hands of him, whoever he was, then that was it for me. I didn't know what he would do. After all, right up until the second ago, I didn't even know he could actually touch me. But I knew now that if I didn't fight my way out and run, suffocation would have been just a kindness. The hands were strong, big, and calloused. I imagined him being over a 6'5 behemoth, broad-shouldered and built like a heavyweight boxer. I could hear a voice booming in deep just like his, though I couldn't hear what he was saying. I didn't think he was speaking, not in English anyway. It was all garbled, grumbling like he was incapable of speaking, like he had his mouth too full or something. I managed to send a swipe across his face which had him reeling in pain. I took the opportunity and made a break for the door to my room, but just before I could make it to the door his hand seized both of my arms and was dragging me back over to the bed. I could hear the garbling get louder like he was shouting something, something that I couldn't understand. I ignored this though and let my instincts kick in by reaching down and taking a chunk out of his arm. His roar of pain almost deafened me, 
and I watched him fall backward, cradling his wrist while howling with agony. I was free and so I took it out of the room, sprinting it faster than lightning speed down the hallway, aiming for the nurse's desk at the very end of the hall. Help, he's trying to get me. I distinctly remember shouting at the top of my lungs. I saw faces peering out of the rooms as I whizzed by. I didn't get to see exactly what their expressions looked like, but I can only imagine they looked absolutely confused, probably frightened if we were being honest. I made it to the desk and the nurse sitting there had the most shocked expression that I had ever seen before up to then. I babbled breathlessly about how he tried to suffocate me after I told him to go away. Now I bet you know what comes next here, right? He? She asked, shaking. Yeah, I blurted. I tried to hide from him and he tried to, too. At that very instant, time stopped whizzing by. Adrenaline still had my heart going like it was an engine, but everything was slowing down again. This included my mind. Thoughts weren't screaming at me from all directions anymore. Instead, going dead silent. I looked around every resident of my particular hall. A hall, I believe, was outside. All looking at me like I had just lit off a firecracker in the middle of a hallway. This limbo lasted for just five seconds longer before the door at the other end of the hall burst open with two security guards, three nurses, and some guy in a tux stomping down toward the nurse's desk. What's going on? shouted the suit guy. Nobody answered him. Everybody looked blankly around at each other. All except for me, that is, whose brain instead was a crashed computer in that moment. The suit looked at the nurse and asked, Are you alright here, Doris? She nodded uneasily. I looked up at the two security guards, both eyeing me with the same caution as everybody else around me. Though, of course, masked behind a layer of stoicism. One of them I saw had his hand hovering over the holster of his right hip. This, though alarming to me, somehow didn't affect me at all. The guy in the suit looked at me, narrowing his eyes. Hello there, he said to me in a tone I obviously knew wasn't genuine. An almost crap-eating tone of voice that told me that I was about to be in for it. Are you alright? I stared at him hollowly. He may as well have been talking to a mannequin at that point. I hadn't the slightest thought as to what I was supposed to do or say. Even if I had though, I'm not entirely sure that I would have been able to say anything anyways. Just like how I wanted to say something before, but I just, I don't know, I just couldn't. For just a moment, I want you to imagine that you're a bug in a jar, okay? You got that? Good, now I want you to imagine that somebody's shaking the absolute crap out of this jar. You want to get out of the jar like really bad, but no matter what you do, the one and only thing that your small, insignificant butt can do is sit there and try not to have your brains get slung out of your ear canals or something. You watch the guy on the outside continue to shake the jar, likely laughing his butt off. While they do, and you simply close your eyes and pray that someday they might stop shaking that jar. Powerlessness, I think it's called. Well, anyway, that's what I felt like in that moment, and it was the first time that I had actually noticed it. Well, the first time that it really stuck out to me anyways. It'd be a long time before I actually figured out why this was happening. 
The security guards moved in on me and gently though firmly took me by the arms and began leading me back down the hallway. The panic in an instant took a hold of me realizing that they were about to take me back to my room. Back to him. Obviously I wanted to panic, to beg, kick and scream for them not to take me back. But just like how I couldn't respond to the suit's question, I couldn't do anything else here either. Nothing except watch them put my butt back in the jar and shake the heck out of me again. God, please, no, not there, they can't. Slowly, my mind began to resume a bit of control over my body, and my feet began trying to anchor themselves into the floor. This did me no good whatsoever as the guards' grasps were far both too strong for me. To them, I must have just been a bratty kid being dragged out of the store, kicking and screaming after being told that he couldn't have a candy bar. The closer we came to the room, the harder and harder I began to struggle. I even tried heaving my chin down to bite their hands like I had with my imaginary friend earlier, but that was no good either, with them jerking my arms forward and putting their hands out of my reach. Please stop, I managed to cry out. You can't take me back in there, you just can't. He's gonna get me if you do, please stop. Neither of them paid me any attention. They continued to drag me to my room, and when we had reached the doorway, the light was on. At the far end of the room, right where I had seen him, land after letting me go was one of the male nurses bandaging his hand. I was confused what was going on here. Why was there a nurse in my room and why was he bandaging his? Wait a minute. Like small jolts of lightning, it all suddenly started coming together. That wasn't my imaginary friend earlier trying to hurt me. It was a nurse, one who had kept me from suffocating me to death. But he was there, I know he was. Wasn't he? I stopped struggling then and my body went limp in the guard's arms. There was no point in fighting now, if there even was before. I shuffled, sort of drunken looking into the room and climbed back into the bed. The suit guy came into the room and asked the nurse if he was okay. He took one look at me like he was trying not to lose his cool with me and then turned back and nodded his head at the suit. The suit then turned to me and said, You're quite an excited one, ain't you, buddy? I stared at him blankly. Truth be told, I only barely heard what he had said at all. But he continued to smile at me, which was honestly creeping me out a bit. If only because I knew that I was going to be in trouble over the whole thing with the nurse and his smile was just the kind you would see from a villain in a movie or something, to me at least. The smile that said to me, Yeah, you're mine, boy. I have expected either him or the nurse or both to start pummeling the crap out of me or something, but they didn't. Instead, suit guy looked at the nurse again and nodded for him, the nurse bandaging his hand up, and the two security guards to all leave the room. They got up and left, leaving me alone with the suit guy. What's your name, son? He asked as soon as the door had closed. For a second, my mouth hung open, unsure of what to tell him. My name? Why does he want to know my name? What is my name? That should give you at least a base understanding of where my head was at the moment. I couldn't even remember my own name. It came back to me eventually, and I answered, uh, Gregory. He chuckled and extended his hand out to me. Well, Gregory, it's nice to meet you. I'm Dr. Ratha, and I'm the head of the hospital. You know what that means. I shook my head. That means that I've been doing all this. 
He gestured around the room with his left hand. For quite a while. You see, I've treated young boys and girls just like you, Gregory, for a long time now. I've seen a lot of them come to me just like you, troubled or hurting, and I've been able to help them get back into the world. To fit in with other kids better than ever before and overall be happy. That's what I want for you to be able to leave this place and be happy. I remember shrinking down a little at this. He seemed so calm yet I still couldn't help but feel that it was all a ruse. Somehow I just knew that he was about to charge at me or something, primed to wring my neck dry. He remained as still as stone, smiling warmly at me. Now, Gregory, I would like to ask you a few questions real quick, okay? I made no motion, nor did I say anything. He didn't wait for a response, though. At first, I want to ask how you're getting along here. My eyebrows cocked at this. What do you mean? I asked. Well, like with the other patients, are you getting along with them? Do you have any friends, maybe? Oh, well, well, sure, they're nice to me and it's fun to play with them. He nodded his head at this. Oh, good, good, what about the staff? The nurses and doctors, are they nice to you as well? Yeah. Okay. He nodded and paused for about a minute or two, eyeing me up and down. Okay now, Gregory, can I call you Greg? I nodded and he continued. Greg, I would like you to tell me exactly what happened just a moment ago when you bit the nurse. Oh. My head shrank all the way into my shoulders like a turtle. I was hoping that he wasn't going to try this line of questioning with me even though I knew that he was going to eventually. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I wish I could have had a decent answer for him when he did ask. Well, I, I mean, I didn't mean to. Oh, I'm sure you didn't. I'm not trying to get you in trouble here, Greg. But instead, I'm trying to figure out what happened so that we can try and keep it from happening again, you know. Despite my suspicions from earlier, I can tell from both his face and his voice that he meant what he had just told me. Of course, that didn't do too much to actually calm my nerves as again. I knew trying to explain any of it to him would likely either do nothing at all, to help or worse, just get me brushed off anyway. I just want to help you, but I need your help to do that, okay? To his credit, he actually had a genuinely warm expression on his face when he said this. His voice complimented this too. This somewhat made my anxiety melt away and my body loosened up just a bit. Um, okay, well, I thought that he was, I thought he was somebody else. Who? I took a deep breath. I don't really know, sir, he's just, uh, well, he's someone that's been keeping me up every night, always saying bad things to me. Like what? Like how he wants to hurt me or my family or my friends. Has he ever done any of it? Hurting them, I mean. I shook my head. No, not yet, I don't think. Has anybody else told you about him? What do you mean? Like, has anybody else told you that they were being harassed by him? No, no, I don't think anybody else has ever seen him. I see. I saw his eyes look at the floor for a second, nodding with a ponderous sort of frown on his face before looking back up at me. Okay, and can you tell me his name? I frowned then. Huh? His what? His name, the person that's bullying you like this, he has to have a name right. I opened my mouth to speak and then realized something. He didn't have a name. Not just that, I didn't give him one either. 
Again, he wasn't just some imaginary friend of mine, not to me anyways. He was just that, some guy that harassed me every night that only I could actually see. I, I don't know, sir. His frown deepened and his lips pursed. Are you saying you can't remember his name or... I cut him off, shaking my head in response. Nuh-uh, I'm saying that he doesn't have a name. No, he asked. I shook my head again. Well, now that's certainly something, ain't it? He said with an easygoing chuckle. I kept staring at him, cocking my eyebrows. I don't get it. Oh, nothing. So here's what we'll do, okay? Have you ever heard of the old saying, there's a lot of power in a name? I shook my head. Basically, it means that if you know the name of this thing, this person, you, then you have their identity. If you have that, then there's a lot more that you can do to stop them. So with that being said, I want you to figure out the name of this bully of yours. Once you do that, you come and find me and we'll talk about how to solve the problem. Okay? Okay, yeah. But how am I supposed to do that, sir? Well, you said he comes to you every night, right? I nodded. Well, then if that's true, he'll probably come back again. I nodded again, this time feeling a slight shiver slithering down my back at the thought of him returning that night. So when he does, or at least the next time you see him, if not tonight, I want you to ask him his name for me. Think you can do that, buddy? Um, I... I... I couldn't form words. Anxiety started forming a tight noose around my throat. Even if, and we're talking about a monster-sized if here, it were as simple as smiling and asking the guy his name and he would give it to me. Well then what then? Him returning meant that he was going to come back to finish what he had started earlier with suffocating me. He stood up from his chair and stepped toward the door. Wait, I cried, shooting my arm out to him. He stopped and turned to face me. What if he tries to hurt me again? His eyebrows raised at me. If he tries to what? He tried to smother me with my blankets earlier just before I ran out. I thought you said that he hadn't actually hurt anyone. Well, he hasn't, at least not until then. And you're sure that it was him? I nodded, his eyes looked to the ground and then to the door. I watched him rub his chin for a second. I guess trying to take into consideration what I had just told him and figure out what to do or say next. Admittedly, though, I was also getting the distinct feeling that he either wasn't taking me seriously or that he knew something I didn't, something he apparently didn't feel like sharing with me. I see, he said finally. Well then, in that case, he reached into his pocket and held out his hand. In the center of his palm was what looked to me like a joy buzzer, the kind that you would see in cartoons with a giant red button held by two straps going around your hand. I looked puzzled at it. You know what this is? He asked and I shook my head. This, my little friend, is the hotline button. If you find yourself ever needing me or one of the nurses in a pinch, just mash this big pretty red button and we'll come running. You got it? I looked at him, examining his face. He was serious with this, at least as far as I could tell. I looked back down at the button. Go on, try it on. I took the button from his palm and strapped it onto my own palm. It fit okay? I nodded. Good, now just remember if something happens, anything at all, press that button. And find his name. We'll talk more afterwards, okay? 
He turned and opened the door, and just before leaving, he turned back to me and switched off the light, saying, Night-night, Greg. Don't worry, nobody's gonna get hurt here, I promise. And he left the room then. I was alone again, alone in the dark. I looked around the room, quiet, empty, dark. Nobody was there except for me. I looked at my hand. The big red button actually managed to stand out in the darkness. My finger grazed the top of it lightly. No one's gonna hurt you, I promise. Oh, for God's sake, please tell me you're not actually buying that fat little crap now, are you? His cackle rattled all throughout the room. Jesus Christ, Greggy, I knew you were a little wimp, but stupid too. My joints locked up again, and I couldn't see him anywhere. Nor could I pinpoint any direction where his voice was actually coming from. It was everywhere surrounding me. My head swung wildly in every direction. I felt my fingers starting to push down on the button. I held it back though. Not yet, I have to get his name. I took a deep breath, stealing myself as best I could and said in a timid voice, Who are you? Oh, here we go again with this. Who are you? Who are you? Give me a break now, will you? Jesus, you can't even recognize somebody who's known you before you were born. What? I don't understand. I heard him bark a laugh. Oh, I'll bet you don't. Okay, well then, where are you? Can you tell me that? Oh, now you want to see me. Yeah, I want to know who you are. Well, then I suggest that you take a good look inward at Greggy Boy. What is that supposed to mean? Haven't you ever felt like a part of you was missing? What? What? Jesus, is that all you can say? Look, I don't understand. I just want to know who you are. And I'm telling you, you know who I am. No, I really don't. In that case, you may want to ask that mother we have. There it was again, that we he kept using. We, I asked. You mean mine. I didn't stutter. Hopefully now you can start getting a clue though. Are you telling me that you're my... My... Oh, go on, say it. You're my brother? Oh, you say it like it's such a bad thing. I heard him make an exaggerated gasping noise. You don't like me as your brother. Oh, well, you're not the only one. What? Oh, and here we are again with this. What? God, I'm gonna have to start calling you what from now on, ain't I? What do you mean? I don't have a brother. I never had a... Again, ask mom. I bet you that she'll lose her butt once she realizes you know the truth. This next part's a little hard to explain, but I began to feel the sort of pressure just sort of peeling away from me. By this, I mean that I started to feel normal again, like I actually had control over my body and my thoughts again. I'll leave you alone then as a reward for finally figuring this much. I heard him say with a condescending chuckle before finally feeling completely free again. I remember actually having to catch my breath afterwards, having felt constricted for so long. I looked around the room, dark, quiet, and still. There wasn't anything or anybody in that room, only me. I sprang from the bed, flipped the light switch on, and frantically began tossing the room, pulling out all the drawers, turning over everything. I wanted to find him, I wanted to see him. My imaginary friend. My brother. His words continued echoing in my head as I did. I have to find him. How is he my brother? I have to find his name. 
How can I have a brother? It's the only way that I can make him go away. Who else knows about this? And that's when I stopped. I didn't know his name, but I still knew him to a certain degree at least. I knew who he was claiming to be. Now obviously, nine-year-old me had every instinct that he was lying his butt off. Just another way that he was succeeding in screwing with me, right? But, what if it was true? If I did have a brother, then who else would know? Well, the answer to that question at least was answered almost immediately. I mean, he told me so himself, right? I couldn't bear anything remotely related to the idea that my mother had been intentionally lying to me for years. But then again, how would I know for sure unless I found out for myself, right? The rest of that night surprisingly was spent sleeping. Yes, I actually fell asleep and even more surprising was the fact that I didn't have any nightmares either. I woke up the next morning to the sound of the nurse walking into the room. I remember seeing how afraid she looked, the hesitation in her stride as she got closer and closer. She didn't even look at me while she sat down the meal tray with a carton of milk, a small carton of Cheerios and a banana. I didn't say anything. For one thing though, most of the last night's events were largely a blur. I did still remember small fragments of me running down the hallway, kicking and screaming against two of the guards holding me. In other words, I got it, at least a little. That and it was just too early for me to care anyway. She left the room and everything was silent and still again. The more I woke up, the more the dots connected, once more re-piercing the events of the previous night. This led to me then munching on the banana while plotting how I was going to find out the truth about having a brother or not. I wanted to talk to Dr. Ratha about it thinking maybe he would have some sort of psychological answer about it. And then I realized even if he did, what good would it do? Sure, it would give me an explanation maybe, but not necessarily a solution. He would still come back, wouldn't he? Aside from that, how would he actually know? How exactly would he know whether or not I had a brother or how I'm the only one who can see him? He would likely have just as many, if not even more, questions about him than I did. At the absolute best, he would tell me that he had no answers, and at worst, he would think that I was BSing him, spouting some nonsense yet again about my imaginary bully. So okay, that ruled out that option, at least for the time being. The next idea that I had was trying to act well-behaved so I could get them to grant me conjugal visits from my mother. She was the only one anyway that could actually answer the question of the truth about my quote-unquote brother for me, as well as the question of why I wasn't ever told it was. After I was finished with breakfast, I went to the door about to try and go out to the commons area like usual, when I found two guards standing there apparently blocking off my exit. When I tried pushing past them, I found them pushing me back into the room. I need to... That's a no-can-do, son, one of them said to me. What? We're told you aren't allowed out of your room, no more without permission and an escort. Uh, but why? Neither one was willing to answer me on this one. Why can't I come out? What did I do? I tried pushing past them, only to have them push me back into the room again. I banged on the door, shouting. What did I do? Come on, let me out. 
I have to see my mom, I have to. Obviously, they weren't listening. Through the window pane and the door to my room, I could see them looking at me, seeing me as nothing but the basket case that I was. Eventually, I stopped my little fit and sat back down on my bed, and back to the drawing board. I had to get on their good side somehow, I knew, but how? The thought occurred to me to use the button to call Dr. Ratha to maybe try talking to him that way, see if he could help. But then I remembered that he told me that it was for emergencies only. I didn't want to go crying wolf again, not since I was already on restriction. So I decided I would try staying quiet until someone actually came to me. What could it hurt? It wasn't like I could do anything right now anyways. And besides, maybe it won't be so bad in here, since he said that he would leave me alone for a while. I laid back down and eventually drifted off to sleep. I'll admit it felt nice being able to just drift off to sleep like that, instead of being essentially traumatized to sleep. I woke up some time later when I felt myself being shaken awake by the nurse for my afternoon pill and lunch. With her was Dr. Ratha with a lunch tray of his own. I thought I would have lunch with you today, Gregory, he said, smiling just as warmly as he had the night before. The nurse made sure that I took my pill before setting down my tray and quickly scurrying out. Dr. Ratha pulled up the chair from the corner of the room and sat down with his tray across from me. So, did he come back? I nodded, picking up my fork and twirling up a forkful of the spaghetti. And? Well, I asked him his name, but he wouldn't tell me. Dr. Ratha frowned. Really? Nope. He told me that I already know his name. You do? I shook my head, his eyebrows raised further. I don't know his name, sir, but he told me something else, too. What's that? He said that he was my... I paused for a moment. I honestly still hadn't actually processed the idea that I had a brother. One that nobody had ever told me about. One that no one had ever seen or could see. I could feel my breath catch in my throat. It's okay, just breathe. I did as I was told and I started again. He said that I was his brother. His lips pursed in contemplation. Brother, you say? Uh-huh. But you don't know his name. No? Did he say why he doesn't like you? Um, I thought for a second and replied. No, at least I don't think so. I see. He took a bite of the banana on his tray, staring intently at the table itself like it was somehow going to give him a connection to what I had just told him. I did the same, taking several mouthfuls of spaghetti. I used to eat a lot when I was anxious or lost in thought, despite looking like a tiny jack skeleton. Here's what we'll do then, he said, setting down his banana and steepling his fingers. I will do some asking around to see if I can try and find something about this for you, okay bud? My little eyes grew. Nodding my head wildly, I said, um, Yes sir, thank you. You're very welcome, Gregory. In the meantime, I want you to try and lay low for me, okay? Don't want to go getting into any more trouble, right? Trouble? I asked, looking at the door. Well, I think you know by now that we've had to put you on restriction for a while. Thanks to the little stunt that you pulled last night. 
I shrank down into my shoulders like a turtle. He put his hand on my shoulder. Hey, it's okay, buddy. We're going to get through this, okay? I made you a promise, didn't I? I looked back up at him and nodded. He patted me on the back and went back to eating. I ended up wolfing down the rest of the spaghetti and went to work, masticating the bread roll that came with it. Dr. Ratha chuckled and remarked, Hungry, huh? Without swallowing, I replied as best I could. I eat when I'm nervous. He snickered at this and replied, Well, I see that. Well, don't go choking yourself there. I swallowed and he stood up, looking at his watch. It was nice talking to you, Gregory. I think we've made a little more progress today, don't you? I shrugged. Well, like I promised, I'm going to look into what you've told me. See if we can get some kind of name, okay? Okay, I replied in a small voice. Remember, in the meantime, just... Lay low, I finished. Very good. He gave me a hearty thumbs up before turning and heading for the door. Just as he grabbed the handle, he stopped and turned back around to me. One more thing. Did he tell you about anybody else that might know who he was? I paused mid-bite in my bread roll and thought for a moment. I was about to say no when I remembered his words again. Ask that mother that we have. My mom, I blurted, actually startling him a bit. He said my mom would know. You sure? He asked and I nodded. Okay then, then that's where I can start. Thank you, Gregory. And with that, he opened the door and left the room. And I was alone in the room again. This time though, for the first time probably, I wasn't afraid. Not for now, anyway. He said he was going to leave me alone. The rest of that afternoon was spent largely in silence. Funny enough, it was honestly a little jarring because of this. No complaints, obviously, but still. That evening, though, is when things took another sort of turn for the weird. I was having dinner, pizza, yeah, this place had pizza, and it actually tasted pretty good. Mac and cheese and a platter of fries. When I was about to take a last bite, that feeling from before had returned. The feeling of being disconnected from my body. I tried to move, only to find that I couldn't even feel any part of my body. I couldn't hear anything, see anything, or feel anything. I knew that I was alive somewhat, and to some extent was conscious, but I had no perception whatsoever of anything. I remember freaking out, at least in my mind. I don't know what was going on with my body, what it was doing. That is, until not until later on when I found myself coming into the middle of the commons room, which now looked like a tornado had been blown through it. All the little tables were overturned, chairs had been thrown around in the room, and one or two of the windows had been broken. The worst part of any of this were the ten or so kids that I could barely see, lying on the floor writhing in agony. My vision was slow to return and so was my hearing. What wasn't slow to return was my instinct to instantly go into hysterics when I felt hands grab my arms at either side of me. I looked to see the giant, blurry forms of the guards starting to carry me away. I could hear indistinct shouting coming from everywhere. What's going on? I asked in a daze. Neither of them answered me or if they did, it was in their manic shouting that I couldn't make any sense of. 
They dragged me along roughly to a point where I was sure they were going to leave a bruise with how tight they were holding me. Just like before with me being as confused and freaked out as I was, I tried my best to resist them. And just like before, it was almost just as laughably pathetic. They dragged me back into the room and all but hurled me inside like I was a bag of garbage being tossed in the dumpster. And yeah, I know what you're probably thinking. How do security officers get away with treating a kid like that? Well, the answer is something that I found out soon after. As if that kid happens to be an unhinged animal, mauling everything and everyone in sight, aka me. They slammed the door behind me while I just laid there on the floor, wondering just what in the world had happened. What happened to the commons area? Who or what hurt all the other kids and how and why? More importantly, how did I get out of the room anyway? I didn't do that, any of that. I didn't hurt anybody I couldn't have. Could I? I turned my palms up to face me and immediately became horrified. Large splotches of crimson stained both of them. My lungs closed themselves off. I couldn't believe it. No, I wouldn't. I couldn't believe that I had just done all of that. That I had hurt those kids. Something had to have happened. That's all there is to it. Something happened and there was some misunderstanding. I didn't hurt those kids. I couldn't have. That repeated in my head quite a few times. I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have done this. It was the truth though, at least as I saw it. Whatever had happened while I was disconnected from my body, I had no knowledge or involvement in. I eventually picked myself up off the floor and took my pondering to my bed, where I laid back and tried racking my brain with how any of this could have happened. How did I get disconnected again? And how did I end up in the middle of all that? I thought then of every time before when this happened, when I was disconnected. I realized two things then, and every case before these instances always happened when he was around, usually chastising me as well as the fact that I had never before been as far gone as I was. Before, it was like I was still there, just without any control over my reflexes or my body. This time, however, I was completely gone. This led me to one conclusion, that however he was making this happen, he was using me, my body, to hurt the people around me. The thinking of this almost sent me into a heart attack, the fact that my body could apparently be invaded like that, hijacked essentially, and then be made to do that to other kids, it makes me physically sick thinking about it now. The door opened again a while later with Dr. Ratha and two other people in suits entering my room and beginning to go through my stuff. I got up and approached one of these suited men. Hey, what are you? Dr. Ratha grabbed my shoulder and told me to calm down. I looked up at him. He wore a grim, almost apologetic look in his face that told me without saying a word that he and I weren't going to be talking together anymore. What's going on? Gregory, he began sighing. I'm going to tell you truthfully. We do not feel that it is safe for you to be here anymore. What do you mean? I asked looking again at the men while they pulled on my clothes. Sighing, he replied, You're a danger to yourself and the other patients here. 
Gregory, so we're going to send you somewhere where you can't hurt yourself or anybody else, okay? You mean I won't see you anymore? He answered with a sullen nod. But I don't want to go. It's out of my hands, Gregory. There's nothing that I can... No, I shrieked, bolting for the exit. I won't go, I won't. But before I could even make it to the door, I had both of the suited men grabbing a hold of me and tightly restraining me. Let me go, please. You can't do this. You can't. I kicked and bucked wildly into mine and their shock. This time it actually paid off because it didn't take much for me to actually wrestle myself free and take off out into the halls. I was booking it. I had no idea where to or what I would do when I got there, nor did I care. All I knew was that I had to get out of that building. I made it all the way to the car lot before I was cornered by two more of the security guards. I had just come down the stairs and there they were, rapidly stomping straight for me. I shot a glance behind me and two more security guards blocked my path up the stairs that I had come from. I couldn't turn back and I couldn't go forward. This was it. But then, just as they were about to close the distance on me, it happened again. I blacked out. This time, it was all so abrupt to a degree that I almost didn't even realize it at first. The entire world around me was shaking. It was like one second, I was about to be caught by a bunch of monsters in uniforms. And the next, the world's dark again and I couldn't perceive anything anymore. Just imagine that for a second if you can. It's hard, I know. But if you can, then you have an idea of what this moment was like for me. I was disconnected from my body and from reality as a whole. I couldn't feel anything, couldn't see anything, couldn't hear nothing. I was a specter trapped and floating in my own body. What was worse was the fact that I was somehow conscious of this too. I knew this wasn't some sort of dream. If it were, I wouldn't have been able to perceive my thoughts like I was. I apologize, I know this might be a headache to think about to try and actually visualize. Believe me, I get it. How do you think I felt while it was actually happening? I apologize also for the fact that no one doesn't really get any easier to explain. In short though, at least in this current situation, I know that he now had complete control over my body and there wasn't a thing that I could do to keep him from doing whatever it was that he was doing. And so I sat there trapped literally in my own head, thinking of every possible worst outcome of whatever was going on. I wondered just how bad he would hurt whoever he was intending to hurt. I wondered if he would actually kill whoever was out there. The guards were big and tough, sure, but still. Who's to say that he couldn't somehow hurt one of them or worse? Truth be told though, another part of my mind was divided in half between the thoughts of whether or not I would actually wake up again and whether or not I would actually want to. Part of me kind of hoped that I would just slip away, either being erased or maybe phased out, or something by him while he assumed full-time control over my body, or perhaps being killed by outside forces while under his control. At least then I wouldn't face who or whatever waited for me on the other side, waiting to do away with me or lock me away for what I had apparently done. Perhaps to my chagrin then, I awoke to find myself somewhere outside, somewhere that I couldn't recognize at all. 
My head felt like it was a brick of lead bearing straight down on my neck. My blurred vision was even slower to compose itself this time. In fact, after about three straight minutes of this, I was almost ready to start panicking, sure that I had gone blind. Eventually, though, it all began to clear up, and then I wished that I had gone blind. I had stains covering all across my body, all over my shirt and pants, my hands and my face, and even in parts of my hair. I could both see and feel these dark and sticky stains splotched all over. It was pitch dark out so I couldn't see what color they were, but I wasn't naive. I knew blood stains when I saw them. My heart sped up for two seconds, just long and rapid enough to make me panic before freezing dead mid-beat. What happened? Where am I? Why am I covered in blood? Did, did I, oh god, did I kill? I shook my head. No, no, stop it. You can't panic right now. Get a hold of yourself, Greggy. I stood up, groaning at the extra strain causing me to pull myself to my feet. My feet shook once I was on my feet again. My body was a brick being held up by two dry spaghetti noodles. God, why am I so weak? I wondered. What had he done with me while I was gone? I began to walk, or rather stumble out into the opening in front of me out of the alley that I had woken up in. The street was empty, quiet and still. Two street lamps splotched a small area on each side with soft orange glows. I wasn't sure what was more frightening then, being alone on a street in the middle of nowhere in the dead of night, or the feeling that I had that I actually wasn't alone at all. A distinctive sort of shiver, a chill wind if you will, pricked itself up my spine. Without moving my head, my eyes moved to look as far behind me as they could reach. At the farthest edge and just at the point where I couldn't look any further in that direction without turning my head, my brother stood. I couldn't make any real features about him but I could see that he was a little taller than me, wider too, with two white craters in his face boring into me. You're welcome, he spat. I opened my mouth to speak, while well, rather to belt out a million questions in less than a minute, but he cut me off with, for getting you out of there, getting you back out into the real world, a greggy boy. I tried to turn my head to face him, but as soon as my neck began to twist in his direction, he vanished, reappearing in the farthest corner of my eye again. He chuckled and said, You're not going to say thank you? Guess you didn't actually learn any manners from her either. Though that shouldn't surprise me considering, thanks to her, you don't even know who I am. What do you want from me? I asked while my throat was bone dry and my legs shook even harder. I want out, he replied. I want out of here. Of where? What are you going on about? Out of you, Greggy. I want to be free to be my own person instead of being shackled to you. Okay, well, I don't know how to. Oh, don't you even worry your squishy little head about that. You see, there's two ways we could do it. We could either be separated or you can simply move out of my way and let me take the wheel over your... No, I shouted, cutting him off. I watched his dark and featureless head snap on its side. My entire body shook now. I, I won't do that. You can't have my body... He chuckled again at this, echoing all the way to the far darkest end of the desolate street. 
You know, it's almost adorable that you think you'll actually stop me if I should choose that myself. Do whatever you want, but you're not taking my body. And what are you going to do about it? Well, I will... I trailed off. My heartbeat thundered in my ears and blood rushed straight to my head, causing the temperature to skyrocket. You'll what? Cry about it? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to cry about it like a little... I cut him off, screaming the F word at the top of my lungs. For a second, I watched his crater-sized eyes widen. I think I even saw him take a step or two further back away from me. Time stopped again for me. Well, well. He began in a baritone voice, completely doing away with his childlike facade. Looks like little bro went and finally learned to swing what he's got, huh? Go away. I said coldly, gritting my teeth. Oh, sure, I'll go away. I'll leave you alone until I need you again, but it'll do you a world of good to remember this. One way or the other, I am going to get myself free, you understand. For about 30 seconds, the air transformed into a lead weight inside my lungs and I was close to collapsing on the ground, gasping and wheezing. And then the air pressure returned to normal and when I moved my eyes to look, he was gone again. I stepped out slowly and stood in the middle of the street alone, swinging my head in every direction. It felt to me like a scene out of a movie like where the bad guy said something ominous to the hero before just vanishing into thin air. There was an overwhelming feeling that here somebody else was there, lurking around and stalking me. I couldn't see anything, but still, it was there. Eventually, I found it in me to move and start walking down the street. It's here, though, that something else actually sunk in. The fact that I was lost. I looked around again, seeing nothing, no buildings, signs, billboards, nothing, that actually stood out as recognizable. I began running in the direction ahead of me, just hoping and praying that it didn't lead me even further from the hospital or from civilization. I ran and ran until eventually my legs gave out and I collapsed, a smack dab in the middle of the road. The entire time, all that was going through my head was that, I gotta find somebody, I gotta find somebody. When I fell face first in the asphalt, consciousness quickly faded with my last thought being his voice telling me, one way or another, I will be free. I was afraid passing out like that. It was already painfully clear to me that at that point, he wasn't exactly lying that there wasn't really anything that I could do against him to keep him from just taking my body right out from under me. All the same though, I did end up waking up to a police officer of all people shaking me. You all right, son? He asked. I just groaned. I sat up, looking all around again, and I was sure enough still in the street, still in these same clothes from the hospital and still covered in stains. Oh, where am I? Well, out in the middle of the road, it looks like. He replied, half-jokingly. Oh, what happened? Well, again, pal, I was kind of hoping that you could tell me. I don't really know. He frowned. You don't know how you got here or why. Both. Well, what's the last thing you remember? I closed my eyes and began to strain, thinking back to the night previous. Everything in my head was almost a complete blur. 
I remember being at the hospital and I remember running down the hallway and then I trailed off. What? And then I just remember waking up here, in the road. I nodded and pointed at the alleyway. He looked and took another look at me, cocking his eyebrows. Yeah, it was nighttime too. And you said that you don't know how you got here. I shook my head. Obviously, I wasn't going to tell him what I at least thought I knew. For one, yeah, I wasn't about to start us down the rabbit hole of, oh yeah, you see my brother, who I didn't know that I had, who also apparently torments me psychically, took control over my body and somehow dragged me all along the way out into an abandoned street in the middle of the night, and may or may not have hurt and or killed a few people along the way as well. All for giggles, you know how it is. Secondly, though, I honestly wasn't really sure I actually believed that story myself. Honestly, I was still pretty skeptical if he even was who he said he was, and therefore skeptical that he could actually do what he said he was going to do with my body. I didn't have any explanations yet that could counter his claims. Granted, but that didn't mean there weren't any. Just that I would have to dig a little more to find them. The problem with this is the fact that I was now in police custody, probably as a wanted fugitive. At least, that's where my little mind went, and I would be going to prison for what I had done. Um, yeah. He nodded and told me to stay put while he walked off, talking into his radio. He was gone for about a minute and a half before coming back and telling me to get into his car. I looked at him for a second, paralyzed with panic. I knew what this meant. He was arresting me. I would go to prison never seeing my mom or dad again, never getting rid of him, now without, without. No, no, he can't have me, he won't. I took off again down the road, and it wasn't two seconds later that I heard the cruiser tailing me right on my heels, just faintly thanks to the now millionth adrenaline rush that I was experiencing. I could hear the officer shouting at me to stop where I was. I didn't stop though, the way that I knew it my life, no my soul itself was on the line. Adrenaline rush or not though, he eventually caught up to me and cut me off. I was stopped by a brick wall at the end of the street, the cruiser parked right in front of me. The officer got out and began walking toward me slowly again. I backed myself against the wall. My heart thundered, pulsing so loud that I could hear it in my ears. Just calm down, son, the officer said, reaching his hand out to me while inching ever closer. I pressed further against the wall like I thought there would be a chance that I would actually go through it and be able to keep running if I just pushed against it hard enough. He came to about a foot or so from me and I closed my eyes. As hard as it may have been to believe, I actually found myself wishing that he would have been able to take over again. I hate it but I actually wished that he could have taken control again if only to get me out of this situation. Though even then, I wasn't stupid. I did that, and he wouldn't have given my body back. He can't have me. The officer quickly jerked my wrist, and I was dragged along to the car. Let me go, I shrieked. Hey, just calm down, son. He let go of my wrist as soon as we had reached the cruiser again. I was about to take off again when he shot out his hand in front of me saying, Uh, just stay there for me, alright? What are you gonna do with me? 
Look, I'm just wanting to make sure you're somewhere safe, alright? Are you going to take me to jail? I remember boring into his eyes with mine, looking absolutely pathetic. His eyebrows cocked, looking sideways at me like I had just asked him if the moon was made of Swiss cheese. What? No, son, I'm just going to bring you to the station and see if I can get a hold of your folks, okay? My breathing slowed down a little, only a little. I looked him up and down, finding nothing to indicate that he was trying to trick me. None that I could recognize anyway. Without another word, I turned and climbed into the back seat of the police cruiser. The drive there was done in almost complete silence, without so much as a single peep from either of us or even the scanner up front. It was a short ride as well, lasting probably not even ten minutes. And when we got there, he escorted me inside quietly and led me into a small, almost cramped room with a table and a couple of chairs around it. He told me to have a seat, and so I did, and he sat directly across from me. He pulled out a small tape recorder and sat it down, pressing the red button. Please state your name, he said. Um, Gregory Sanford. How old are you, Gregory? I'm seven years old. All right, now, here's what we're going to do here. Your mother's on the phone now, and she'll be on her way soon, so in the meantime... I just want to go ahead and get your side of the story for the record, okay? Okay. Alright. So Gregory, can you tell me everything that happened prior to being found in the middle of the road? But I already told you, I remember running from the hospital, that's it. Why? he asked. Why what? Why were you running from the hospital? I don't know, I just... I began shrinking down into my chair, shaking violently. Hey, it's okay, son, just breathe. I did, taking a deep breath that sure enough was actually somewhat soothing. Just tell me everything you can remember, okay? You're not in any trouble right now, I just need to make sure that no one's after you or anything, okay? But somebody is after me. Okay. I closed my eyes and thought back to the previous night. Once again, all that came back to me was a complete blur. I could only remember fragments of me running down the hallway, then being cornered and then the alleyway and then, I want to be free to get clear of your worthless butt. My eyes snapped back to attention and I blurted out, he was coming for me. He frowned alarmed. Huh? Who was? I don't know his name but he's always been mean to me and I was in the hospital to try and make him go away. You're saying that somebody was stalking you? I shrugged. I, I guess I don't really know. I started looking around the room, wishing to God that I could just leave. I could just go and run all the way back to the hospital, or better yet, run back home to my mother. Can you describe what he looks like? No. His eyebrow raised. I've never seen what he looked like before. Really? Then how do you know that he's after you? He's always talking to me, always bothering me. I see, you have any idea why? He says that he wants me. For what? Has he ever hurt you? No. Well, what about anybody else? My head pounded, prone to exploding. I don't know, sir, can we please stop, please? I gave him that same pathetic stare from before. The two of us stared at each other for a moment before he said, Okay then, and he turned off the recorder. 
and then he stood up and walked out of the room. I want to say that I sat alone for about 20 minutes before he came back in, this time accompanied by my parents and another officer. Before I had the chance to do so myself, mom ran up to me and seized me in a bear hug so tight that I was sure my head was about to pop straight off my neck. Are you okay? Oh sweet merciful god, I was so worried. Oh god, my Greggy. With my face pressed against her chest, I tried as hard as I could to tell her, I'm okay, mom. The officer asked them to sit down and they did with mom continuing to compress my body as close to hers as possible. Is everything going to be okay? Asked dad. Everything should be fine as far as your son goes. He won't be going to prison though, he won't be going back to the hospital either. Why not? Asked mom. Ma'am, your son hospitalized three of the staff, one of which from what I've been told so far is in real bad shape. Mom traded a look between me and the officer, of both fear and confusion. Gregory, my boy, hurt people, but... She looked at me again and exclaimed, But he's only a little boy. Calm down, Teresa, said Dad. No, I won't. How are you going to sit here and tell me that my boy went and hurt other people? It's okay, Mom, I said in a small voice. She looked at me. I did it. Gregory, no, honey, it's okay, you're not. No, Mom, I did do it. What do you mean? They said that they were going to take me to another place, and I knew that meant that I wouldn't get to see you guys anymore, so I panicked. I looked at the officers for a second and then returned to my mom. I was running out of the hospital and then, and then I woke up in the road where... Where I found you, finished the officer. Yeah, but you couldn't have... You just couldn't. Mom. My voice was now that of a three-year-old almost. Who's my brother? Her face froze then. You're what? My brother. Oh, you don't have... Yeah, I do, Mom. He keeps telling me that he's my brother. Who? Him, Mom. The one who's always bothering me. I could hear her breath rapidly increasing. He says that you know who he is and that you've kept him from me. I, I don't. She looked at Dad. Dad exchanged glances back and forth between her and me. Out of the corner of my right eye, I watched the two officers glance at each other and back to me as well. Faintly, I think I even saw the one officer quietly click the red button on the recorder. I don't understand, Gregory. You don't have a brother. I mean... She trailed off, her eyes doubling in size and looking at Dad. What, Mom? She didn't answer, continuing to look at Dad. I began shaking her. What, Mom? What is it? Tell me. She only continued stuttering. We were told. She stammered quietly, though not quiet enough for me to not hear her. Told what? Her head swung back and forth between me, Dad, and the other officers one final time before burying her face into her palms. In that moment, two things didn't happen to sort of at the exact same time. I felt it happen again being shut out from my body one more time, at the same time that my mother began crying, sobbing in dad's arms. This time, for the first and only time, I actually tried fighting him. It was a sort of cerebral struggle, with me fighting him with nothing but a dormant sort of survival instinct. 
one that just presented itself out of nowhere. I had no idea how I was doing it, and to this day, I still don't know how. But I was actually managing to hold him back at least a bit. Enough so that he wouldn't take over fully. My body began jerking, vibrating rapidly like I was about to explode. Thanks to the overall atmosphere of panic, I don't think anybody noticed. That was until my arms began flailing, pushing the table a good four or five inches away from where I was sitting. Take into account that standing up this table was meeting at least nose level with me, and it was solid steel. At least that's what I thought it was. In other words, there shouldn't have been any way. I, with my bare hands, should have been able to move this big table the way that I did. The room appeared to me to be shaking. Everything and everyone was pulsating at a supersonic rate, stretching and distorting. For me, it was like trying to fight against him, my brother, and it was tearing open a hole in reality. My body felt the way it would if it were being put through at least five, maybe six or seven rounds in a blender on its strongest setting. I could hear their voices calling out to me, but it was impossible for me to discern any actual words from them. I could hear my name and what I think were the words. Are you okay? Now, notice that I said this was true for the people in the room. His voice, on the other hand, was a different story altogether. I could hear him, clear as ever. No, actually, I take that back. His voice was somehow even more clear to me than ever before. I could still feel everything, perceive everything, but he still had the wheel and there still wasn't a thing that I could do about it. There was more than this, though. I wasn't just able to hear his voice, but I could actually hear his thoughts as well. They were all swarming, jumbled, frenzied, like they were all a horde of yellow jackets whose nest had just been kicked. One thing that they all had in common with me, though, was that they were all angry. Do I look like I'm okay? Were the words anger they spat out of my mouth, though not in my voice. Yeah, sure, I'm just fine. My mother just continues denying that I exist, that's all. I could see everybody in the room staring at me horrified. Faintly, I heard mom's voice call out to my name, reaching out for me. My hand grabbed hers and jerked her to meet me face to face. Gregory isn't here, mom. It's me, you remember. The one that should have been born. Complete and total fear permeated her green eyes. Do you remember? What do you mean, no? I don't know who you are, just let me go, you're hurting me. Oh, I'm hurting you. Jesus, I see where Gregory gets it from. Being such a little baby. I watched him yank her arms again, this time hurling her across the room. I watched one of the officers reach for his holster while the other ran to help mom. Dad attempted to rush me and took a kneecap straight into his growing forehead. No, oh, you want some too? He said standing over dad's writhing body. Turning him over onto his back, my foot raised in the air. Coming down hard and straight on his nose, instantly crushing it. Even through all the distortion that was reality for me at the moment, I could hear Dad's cries of agony echoing through my head. Yeah, I bet that feels real good, don't it, old man? Dad could only groan in response. He was kicked hard in the ribs and he shouted, Don't it? I asked you a question. Back away from him, son shouted one of the officers, aiming his gun right in between my eyes. Oh, are you going to shoot me? 
I watched as my hands picked Dad up off the ground and held him in front of me as a meat shield. Oh, go ahead, do it. Go ahead and shoot. Do me a favor, why don't you? The officer's hands began to lower. Come on, do it. Do it. It was at this time that I could feel myself trying to fight again. I had little to absolutely no strength left, but I had to keep fighting. I just had to. I had to protect my family, and most importantly, I had to protect myself. I could feel my arms starting to twitch and my hand raised, shaking. Wait! I heard myself shout out in my voice. The officers both stood frozen, both with a look of sheer confusion plastered across their faces. My body began jerking only slightly at first, before becoming more and more violent as it went on. Every muscle, every nerve, all fired off all at once in my body. Imagine for a second an old video or footage of somebody suffering from the effects of shell shock, the physical ones at least. The way that every part of their body seizes all at once. A seizure in steroids, essentially. I could feel every second of it, every second where me and him fought each other tooth and claw over control of my body. What's happening to him? Mom cried. The officers I saw glanced briefly at her before looking back at me. I crumpled to my knees convulsing and screaming out. No, get out. You can't have me. Go away. With every seize, it felt like some part of my body was being slowly and painfully dismembered. Like somebody was jamming a crowbar in between my joints and forcing them apart. Everywhere from head to foot, my arms, legs, head, fingers, and toes. Especially my chest, all tightened and twisted. A part of me was sure that I was suffering from a heart attack. My vision began shifting, warping and twisting, making the room change its shapes, colors, and even its dimensions. I remember opening my mouth to cry out for help or just to scream, but only pathetic groaning came out. It stayed like this for me for a while, circling all of the outer edges of my eyes. I could see him struggling to take over. He was desperately trying to cover my eyes completely, and I knew well that if that happened, then that was it. I wouldn't be coming back. I had to push him back and push him out. It was me or him, and I was not going to let him win. Get out, I screamed again. I could hear him reply in his demonic bellow. You're mine. Right then, my chest thrust upwards with the pain of something stabbing me dead in the middle of my sternum. My chest was ripping in half. This is mine. Mine, mine. No, I won't let you. My right arm snapped itself almost 360 degrees on its joint. Pain surged from my arm and throughout my aching chest. I watched the others come rushing toward me and I shot on my hand and shouted, Don't! Stay back! They froze again while I was forced to bolt upright with another painful seizure. My body felt now as though it were trying to split itself in half. Gregory! Mom called again and I could barely hear her. He started causing all four of my limbs to start breaking themselves before snapping back into place. I was barely able to hold on. Finally, I used one last trick that I had figured I had up my sleeve against him. With the control that he possessed over my limbs, he seemed unable to do anything with my head itself, hence perhaps why he hadn't already done so to snap my neck. Looking back, I chalked this up to the fact that he must have known that, had he done that, it would have killed him too. The same with why he didn't kill me by actually causing me to have an actual heart attack. 
In short, I've realized that the reason that he never attempted to kill me, including even the moment when he tried suffocating me, was because as much as he had claimed to hate me, he needed me. He knew that if I were to push up daisies, then so would he. Using what pathetic excuse of strength reserve that I somehow still had in me, I began banging the crap out of my head against the cobblestone flooring of the room, harder and harder. I hit the floor until my vision started exploding into stars and clouds eventually, but still I kept going. It hurt and I could feel my brain shattering like a flower vase inside my skull, but I kept at it. It was all that I had left. The only thing I was sure would work to keep my brother from taking my body. Consciousness began slipping away from me. My eyes slowly faded to black, but I knew that it wasn't him taking over this time. The more my head struck the floor, the further and further back I watched him reel into the far dark recesses of my mind. I realized then as the last of my consciousness faded that it was my head, something in it that was keeping him bound to me. But what though? And don't ask me how much later it was when I finally woke up. I'm pretty sure at least a day or two had passed while I was out. I'll say that much. When I finally did awake and I was in the hospital, everything was still blurry and I couldn't very well distinguish any shapes or anything around me, other than that there were people around me, mumbling something that God only knew what. My head swiveled limply on my neck like my neck was only a kickstand trying to support the 30-pound rock that was my head. I couldn't see or hear well, but I was certain of one thing. I was still me. Whatever control he had over my body was gone. I could move my arms and legs as I pleased, though obviously at least at that time not very much, thanks to the multiple fractures in each. I was still whole and he was gone. I didn't show it, being as groggy and disoriented as I was, but I was elated realizing this. I was cured. I wouldn't have to worry about him harassing me anymore. I couldn't even feel him around me like I always had before. I had won. He was gone. But who was he really? This question, though having very little room in my battered brain to do so, swam around in circles for hours. And then finally, my mother and father walked in. Gregory, mom squealed, running over to my bed just like she had at the police station. And just like then too, the first thing she did was to embrace me in the single tightest bear hug that I had ever experienced. She spent almost a good 20 or 30 seconds sobbing over me before picking and clearing herself up. Are you okay, sweetie? She asked, sniffling. I nodded dizzily and she hugged me tight again and planted a firm kiss on my forehead. Mom. Yes, what is it, sweetie? Did I ever have a brother? For a moment, she looked at me the same way she had at the station before dropping her eyes down at the bed. No, but... She trailed off looking at dad. His face almost mirrored hers, a perfect portrait of some inner regret. But what, mom? But you were supposed to chimed dad. My eyes, though still heavy and dazed, grew when I heard this. What do you mean? I asked. I could hear mom softly sobbing. You were supposed to have a twin brother. But what happened? There were complications, little buddy. 
Your mother tried as best as she could, but your brother, well, your brother was stuck, and so the doctors had to operate. When they did, though, it was too late, and your brother was. He trailed off. He didn't need to say anything else. I put my arm around Mom, closely embracing her. She brought her head up and sniffled, smiling at me through her tears. I love you, Mom, I said absentmindedly, out of instinct. She kissed my forehead and replied, Oh, Gregory, I love you. We're going to get through this, okay? I promise. She held out her pinky to me and I wrapped my pinky around hers. From that day on, I never heard from my brother again. The thing slowly got better after that and I ended up being cleared of the police's radar after that. Thanks to the audio recording by the officers of the incident at the station, I was deemed not in control of myself. I'm pretty sure they didn't actually know the full extent of just how not in control I was, probably chalking it all up to some kind of mental illness, just like they had in the beginning of all this, but that's on them. I know what it really was. The last thing I'll say is that despite everything, in spite of the torment he caused me for so long and in spite of all the people that he had hurt, I can't help but feel terrible for what I had to do in the end. He was a bully, sure, a monster even, but he couldn't really help it, now could he? He was supposed to be born with me and yet he wasn't. I think somehow when I was born he had managed to attach a piece of himself to me, a sort of desperate act of preservation. In a way then, I guess, he was only doing what was natural. In this same vein, I'm not sure I can blame him for what he had done to me, well not entirely. If it was you and your only hope for existing at all was to attach yourself to your sibling or even to try to invade their body altogether, what would you do? Would you have accepted your fate or would you have tried to find your own way like he did? Perhaps, as such is only the paradox of a brotherly bond. Who knows? Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Wherever you may be in the world, I hope that you're staying safe and sound. And as always, stay creepy.